Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Because the Lord your God loves you. Notice that. Underline that. Because the Lord your God loves you. Everything that we're reading up to this point is because he loves you. Some of the things that we've read last week and some of the things we're going to read tonight are a little hard. They're difficult. They're difficult. But they're true. And if we take them in and allow them to take root in our heart, we will be the much better for it. And not only us, but the culture and the generation that we live in. Uh, isn't it true that if there is a, if there's a light in a room, it brings light to the entire room of darkness? And that's what God has called us to be, as those lights in a very dark place. everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ. Our study today continues with God's various laws as he explains them to the nation of Israel. If you have your Bibles handy, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. As we know, God has established many laws for the nation of Israel, and today we learn that God is now being specific on what the members of their congregations should look like. Israel would be encountering nations that were involved in idolatrous practices. Therefore, these laws were set in place to keep his people separate as not to intermingle with these nations and practices. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, 23. We've been going slowly through Deuteronomy, and uh, Deuteronomy means second law, and, and I love... I've fallen in love with Deuteronomy, and especially now that I've been able to, to teach it, it's been such a lot of fun for me, because I've really found, um, in going through Deuteronomy, you know, it, it forces me to go back and look at Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, because really Deuteronomy is just a, a second telling of those things, those historical events, those le- lessons that were learned, those warnings that were given, all those things are kind of compiled into uh, the book of Deuteronomy, and, and it's there for a purpose. It's there to show this next generation. We've got some uh, sound difficulties, and we're going to have to work on that. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, so if I fade in and out, it's um, something we got to get fixed. So, uh, But anyway, but I love the book of Deuteronomy. And so let's just, uh, last week we were looking at um, laws of sexual morality and I can't think of a better time in history and a better country to share those things with. And certainly we didn't get into all of them, but we looked at a number of them. And just things concerning um, virgins and um, relationships and and how we are to handle those relationships and under the different uh, ways that those relationships or 
uh, not even so much relationships, but sometimes even forceful things. How, how do you reconcile that in a culture? What do you do about those things? And God, I love it that he doesn't leave it to our imagination. He doesn't leave it to us to make up things. He gives us what he thinks, what is true. And, and, and again, I, I can't escape the fact that I, I just love the, the fact that God, he doesn't, um, he doesn't wait for us to make up these things. He, he gives it to us in advance. And, and even though, you know, the children of Israel, remember, they were under a uh, theocracy for so long, and then there came a point when Saul came on the scene that they really wanted a king to rule over them. And it became a monarchy, but the, the theocracy was still underneath all of that. Even though man was, there was a central man on the throne, God's law had been established in the hearts of the people. And... Um, and I love that because, again, even though there was a, a single man on the throne, it was well established by then. And uh, even what the king should do, he should write his own copy of the scriptures and, and read it to himself so that he would stay in line with God's, God's um, ways of doing things, his law and his commandments. And so let's get into chapter 23. And what we're going to do is I thought we'd just read the first eight verses and then we're going to go back and take a look at those things. So it says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Verse 3, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Notice. Because, why? Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. God speaking of the the Israelites as they came out of their captivity for 430 years in Egypt. On their way, they were met by certain people groups. And God is saying, the ones that took care of you, those are the ones I'm going to have a favorable light upon. But there's uh, some that didn't and didn't receive them, weren't hospitable to them. And God is holding and taking them to task for that. And holding them accountable. But he says in verse 4, Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. And that was his intention. Or at least that's what Balak's intention was. But verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because the Lord your God loves you. Notice that. Underline that. Because the Lord your God loves you. Everything that we're reading up to this point is because he loves you. Some of the things that we've read last week and some of the things we're going to read tonight are a little hard. They're difficult. They're difficult. But they're true. And if we take them in and allow them to take root in our heart, we will be the much better for it. And not only us, but the culture and the generation that we live in, uh, isn't it true that if there is a, if there's a light in a room, it brings light to the entire room of darkness? And that's what God has called us to be as those lights in a very dark place. And so he says, I turn the curse into a blessing. In verse 6, he says, you shall not seek their peace, speaking of the, the Moabites. You, sh- you shouldn't seek their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. In verse 7, you shall not abhor an Edomite, For he is your brother, and you shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were an alien in his land. And the children of the third and the third generation born to them may 
enter the assembly. And so in these first eight verses, we're really, really looking at what, whom God is going to allow to come into the congregation of Israel. Now remember, this is Israel. This is not the church, so to speak. This He's speaking directly to them. And God wanted to keep them separate. And it's always good. Separation is always a good thing, especially when you're trying to teach something. You've you got you to gotta separate that thing and teach it. And, you know, even in some of the, the programs in the Navy and, and the Air Force and all these other things, and, um, you know, they separate men, groups of men, to do specific things in different places. They get them away from all the noise of life. And, and they train them. They get them isolated, separate them, and then train them. And see, that's what God is wanting to do with the children of Israel is to train them because, again, they're going into a culture that is so idolatrous and so sexually perverse in every, in every facet of it. He has to tell them in advance, this is what you're going into, and this is how you're not to be. Do not follow their example. In fact, it's because I'm bringing you in to dispossess them and wipe out every man, woman, and child, everything. The reason I'm doing it is because the iniquity of the Amorites is now full. (laughs) There was a point in Israel's history when he said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, but now it is. The 430 years have been done, they're captivity in Egypt. Now God is saying, I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to bring you against these people who've had space to repent. Nationally, they've had 400, at least 400 years and more to turn away from their sin and their idolatry, but they would not. They would not. It's not that they couldn't. They decided they would not. Certainly they heard about all these things. They knew that these things weren't right, and yet they continued doing them. And God holds them accountable. So let's go back into verse 1 here. It says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Again, the assembly of Israel, the congregation of Israel. In the King James Version, this verse sounds a little bit more scary, and I'll read it to you. It's a little more pointed and a little more clear. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. I don't think I really need to go into any more detail about that. I don't really want to, honestly. But uh, anyway, this is, this is something where if anyone is emasculated, you know, when you think about a man, uh, a man's um, uh, the idea, God wants people to reproduce in his congregation. He wants them to reproduce. And when you remove that part of a person they are no longer able to reproduce, right? And we can spiritualize that if we want and say, well, that's true of us too. You know, God wants us to reproduce. You know, healthy sheep beget healthy sheep, right? And so if you're a healthy sheep, what does a healthy sheep do? It, it talks to other sheep and says, hey, you know, this, this pasture over here is pretty good. The food over there is really good. There's, there's bananas and there's strawberries and it's all fresh and it's all laid out. It's nicely sliced and everything. And you might want to go over there. Everything is really good, Right? But it says, he who is emasculated, these things are, are taken away from him. And God has a right, you know, to choose who those can come into his assembly. And again, remember, this is Israel. This is the Israel, Israelites, the congregation of Israel. And the verse above speaks of somebody in the congregation of Israel who was in this condition. Now, we have to remember that salvation is, of course, open to all. We know that that's true back at this time that we're speaking of, but it's also true in the New Testament. 
you know, that there's, everybody has their role, and everybody can be saved. But there are certain stipulations that God puts in place, even among the redeemed. This is what I want you to do. This is what I've called you to do. And there's certain things that God wants this group of people to do and that group of people to do. And we don't really have the right to force and fight and frustrate things by, I want to be over there. God say, no, I, you're, you're the leg. You're the eye. You're the hand of the body. Where, where, what have I called you to do? And so it gets strange when we start trying to do things out of our own uh, volition instead of just submitting to God. So God says, these are the people that I do not want to come into the congregation. Does God still love them? Of course he does. God loves everyone. He hates the sin, but he loves the person, right? And so he's saying that these men who have been emasculated, either by crushing uh, or by mutilation, which means that there could be a willing eunuch. And back at this time, there was a uh, an idolatrous form of Canaanite worship that was spreading all around and where the men would willingly uh, allow that part of their body to be taken off, either some of it or all of it altogether. And they do this to worship their very strange god. <laughs> um, you have to worship a strange god that would require you to do that. But that's what they would do. They would willingly serve this false deity, and they would willingly go through this procedure and make themselves eunuchs. And, um, and we know that there are some eunuchs that do it because of idolatry, and there's other times where a eunuch is a eunuch because he... Uh, it wasn't uh, something that he desired to do, but was forced upon him. You know, when we look at Daniel and his three friends, we believe they're probably eunuchs. When they were brought into uh, Babylon, that's one of the first things that a king would do, especially those who are in his cabinet or close to him. He wouldn't want any, any threat to his throne. And you remove that part of a, of a, of a man's body, and all of a sudden he can't reproduce. He's not going to ascend to the throne. He's not, there's gonna, his, everything changes in a person's life when that happens. And, and so, therefore, the king doesn't have to worry about your son being on the throne now and, and supplanting him. So that's why a king would supply uh, eunuchs around him, because they were men who uh, weren't able to have children, and, and certainly the women were safe around him, so there was no problems. In fact, we know that, um, at least in, in Esther and uh, in the, in the uh, account of Esther, there was a eunuch that oversaw the women, and he could do that because he was no threat to them. Uh, you know, there was no desire there any longer. And so those are eunuchs that were either willingly or in, in Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's case, they may have been had that um, unwillingly done to them. But the Lord wants us to approach him to worship, and to worship him in a whole way. And we notice that even in the Levites, remember, the, the Levites had this very same kind of thing applied to them. In Leviticus chapter 21, it says this, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man or of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God, for any who has a defect shall not approach. And he lists them, a blind or a lame man who has a marred face or any limb too long, a man who has a broken foot or a broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man who has a defect in his eye, has eczema or scab, or is a eunuch. And there we have it again. 
You know, so even the Levites had this kind of thing uh, imposed upon them because God wanted the very best to approach him. And he wanted those who were whole and had all of their faculties. And it just speaks of the whole person that God created, doesn't it? It's an example of the creation that he had made. And when he made it, he said it's very good. It doesn't mean that the person who has the scab or who is the eunuch, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love him. He's got a place. And, and he's able to be saved. But to serve like the Levites, they had to be, have all their faculties together, be able to handle, because honestly, any of these defects, how are you going to sacrifice a bull or a lamb if your hand is messed up? Or if, you've got some, if you're a hunchback you, or you've you got some other issue, God wants to make sure that the right tools for the job are there to do what he has called them to do. And I, and I like that about the Lord. Whatever he desires you to do, he's, the, the enablement is there as well. And he makes sure that the enablement is there. That's just the way he is. That's why I like that phrase, wherever God guides, he provides. If he's calling you to do something, he's going to provide the means to get there. He's going to provide the means. But notice also, in Isaiah 56, this is just God's grace to the Gentiles and the eunuchs in the millennial reign of Christ. And, and, and again, Isaiah is writing this 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus was even born. He's prophesying and talking about events that are still yet future to us because he's speaking of the millennial reign. And he says this in Isaiah 56, verse 3. He says, notice the grace of God. Because we know that the, even the Levites and even these eunuchs or anyone who's emasculated, they weren't allowed to serve in the, in the congregation, and certainly the Levites weren't even allowed to serve in their vocation, if you will. But notice in Isaiah 56, verse 3, it says, Do not let the son of the foreigner, notice the foreigner, not the Israelite, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speaking say, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuchs say, notice this, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them, notice, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I just love that about the Lord, that even in the age of grace that we live in, even in the millennial kingdom, those eunuchs that are completely sold out to the Lord and completely dedicated to him, he says, you're going to serve in my house, and I've got a perfect place for you, and you're going to have a place and a name. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's why the, law, the Bible says that the, the law, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life, right? And I just love the difference in verse 2, it says, one of illegitimate birth, going back here to Deuteronomy 23, one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And this idea of an illegitimate person is, in the King James, if you have a King James, it'll say bastard, and that's what a, a bastard is, is somebody who is born of illegitimate means. It could be incest, it could be uh, a mixed marriage, and, and in, in the in children of Israel's case, they could have a Jewish father and a, and a heathen mother, a mother who is a, a different race. And so that's what a, 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 an illegitimate child, an illegitimate person, and God is saying 
that one of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And you know, I, I think about that, and I think about what God has made us in the church. He's made us true sons. An illegitimate son is not a true son. But a true son is one where the, the birth is proper, that the parents, that there's nothing out of wedlock. Everything was right straight as an arrow, and that's the way God likes it. But notice that even in Christ, we have been made true sons by the birth, the new birth in Christ. We are not illegitimate. Rather, we, we have been born with a purpose by his grace. Doesn't it say in, in John chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him... Speaking of Christ, to them, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, notice, nor of the will of man, but of God. And as we are born sons, and that's what's so important for us to remember, that in the New Testament era, this age of grace, we are sons by entering into uh, the new birth in Christ. J. Vernon McGee, um, a pastor, an old, older pastor, he said this concerning an illegitimate so-called Christian. And he's recalling an event. He says, he says I've met a lot of pastors. And he says, and one Baptist pastor told, me, he told him, he said, and I quote, there are a lot of baptized pagans today. They are hell-doomed sinners, and they think because they have been baptized that they are children of God. And he goes on and he says, have you been born again? He says, I don't care how many ceremonies you have been through or how many churches you have joined or how religious you may be, unless you are a child of the king, you are illegitimate. And see, that's a great call for us because now we get to go out and share the message to make people legitimate sons and daughters of the king. Right? And I love that. But we are the children of God. In verse 3, he goes on and he says, An Ammonite... Or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Again, another stipulation. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. And I don't know if that tenth generation, you know, we read that in verse 2, and we're seeing it again here in verse 3, but this one has a little bit more information, doesn't it? It says, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. So I don't know if this is one of those phrases that's used to just connotate, in other words, they, they can never enter. It, it could be, or it could literally mean, uh, like in verse 2, it could l- literally mean a tenth generation. I don't know how they would go about you know, marking the days or marking the years for that kind of thing, but we'll just leave that alone uh, because when we don't know, it's better not to assume anything. But the son of Ammon and Moabite, these were two different people groups that were born of two separate sons, uh, the, the son of Ammon and the son of Moab. And you remember, they were illegitimate sons because they were born from an incestuous relationship. In fact, why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 19, and we're just going to look at verses 30 through 38, and we're going to see what this is all about. And this is uh, something you all know. Genesis 19. It says, verse 30, it says, Then Lot went up from Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. And again, this is right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you remember that Lot and his daughters were taken out, and uh, Lot's wife didn't make it because she turned, and she became a pillar of salt. 
and God judged her right on the spot. But they flee, and they go up to the mountains. And for, it says there in verse 30, For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. Now, you know, isn't it crazy? Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.